0: Welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, that Saturday was blackout drunk. I'm hungover right now from the Saturday that was in the SEC. It was. it was. My goodness, Uh, madness. Let's just start.
1: Let's just start from the top by saying you were spot on. Like what you said last week. Which I honestly thought was like a throwaway comment and just kind of like, yeah, it's been a crazy year, like whatever. Like it, it was absolutely spot on. It, like you saying, I think some, some you know, chaos is going to happen or whatever the exact phrase was. And I laughed at you for picking A&M. And that's just how the day started.
0: It was wild. And we're going to get to all the games. And it felt weird because usually when we put these games together, we do it based on like kind of what everybody's going to be talking about right like yeah. that's that's the biggest yeah. thing and so, sometimes sometimes if there's a primetime game with two sec contenders and it ends up being like a blowout or something like that and we're like well not anybody's going to be really talking about that as much cuz it was pretty one sided and it wasn't that right. exciting then we end up moving that game down to, Trying to prioritize the order of games in which we should talk about today was hell because it's just not every talk game, about Vandy. yeah. <laughs> South, sorry, South it? Carolina Vandy. this is not going to be the podcast for you. Um, other than that, though, it felt like every single game there was a massive takeaway. So, that's my way of saying. Don't necessarily look at the the way that we talk about these games and think, oh, we're just burying. You know, like we're not even gonna get to Bama, Ole Miss for a while. And what? I thought there were some Good. massive, massive takeaways from a game like that, and things uh, that yeah, I there think are are very telling of the conference. Arkansas, Auburn, same thing. Crazy, wild. Well, we're game. not gonna talk about that off the top. Well we'll, well, we'll get we to. It. I, do I talk about it? Early? Of Mississippi State, Kentucky. We are, we are, but look, okay, okay. look. All right, so here's here's just the breakdown for you. We've got Florida AM and to talk about because of AM finally beating a top-five team. We've got LSU and Mizzou to talk about because Mizzou took down the defending national champs, and the defending national champs are 1-2. Oh, by the way, we've got Tennessee and Georgia, which was the biggest game in the SEC oh, yeah. this past now weekend. I it. It's it, then, oh, by the way, Bama Ole Miss, where more points were scored in the history of any regulation SEC game. It was freaking crazy. Nuts! It was it was the most
1: miserable Saturday I've ever had watching my favorite team win and doing a job that I love to do. It it was like, well, I mean, honestly, only well, there was stuff that happened outside of it. I'll I'll talk about in a second, but um, but that Bama game was not fun. Anybody that I hate everyone. Oh, it was was so much fun, man! Like, no, it was not. It was awful. It was awful. I had accepted the fact that that Bama was going to lose like early in the third quarter. And we'll get to all that later, but let, yeah, let's start with let's start off the top. I, I, I love the order that you have it in here.
0: It's, it's just pure madness. So before we get to all of these games, Marlar, I, I know your Saturday was atypical. It was not what you were expecting when no. the weekend began, and things are a little bit crazy, but did you still find time to be able to have some Texas Pete? I, I did,
1: and it was the only good part of my day um so for those of you who don't know for the second straight year an appendix has tried to ruin my college football saturday this uh, last year we don't even need them it, it. it's ridiculous we don't so last year it was lsu the the day before lsu texas it was my appendix um this year uh it was Ally's appendix and she had to go to the hospital on saturday morning um and had to like rush her over there and all this kind of stuff. It was it was just a, a miserable way to start the day. And then you can't get, you can't, all right, she's not going to listen to this. So I'll, I'll just say, I was worried sick. It was awful because they don't let you in the hospital. At the same time, shout out to COVID for not allowing people to stay at the hospital. Because that was, allowed me to go home, watch all this unfold. Because imagine if I, had, if I had been at the hospital and missed all of this.
0: It would be impossible to explain it to you. It would be, be impossible to it. explain.
1: No, it yeah. wouldn't. So that being said, I got home after a long, long, crazy day, and our, our wonderful neighbors uh, uh, brought me tacos, which was like really good because I could not fend for myself on what I was going to do for dinner. And it, it was just these beautiful, it was like fried chicken tacos, and I had some Texas Pete with it. And it was like a moment of zen in an otherwise absolutely miserable day. And Texas Pete saved the day once again. So... Oh uh, we do this every every single episode, and we talk about it, um, not just because they're sponsors because we love Texas Pete and, and yes, when we I do. tell you when when I had a Texas Pete in my left hand and a Dr. Pepper in my right hand, all seemed right with the world, besides Bama's defense
0: Let's start with Florida and a and m. The call actually worked out, and I Unreal. you know what? So I had predicted for this game that a and m was going to win forty two to thirty eight and wait, it, did you really? Yeah. So that, that was fun? that that the, yeah, that was more so of like what I got mentions from in the in the Facebook yeah. group like, Connor was one point off on this game. And I actually I said to Lauren in the middle of the fourth quarter, I'm like, you know, I did have AM winning this game forty two to thirty eight, and then my mentions just blew up. So shout out to anybody who reached out and said yeah. and gave me a little pat on the back, a little social media pat on the back, because I took some heat for for when that, that pick came out, the the AM winning that game by four points after I just blasted A and M. Uh, all yeah. last week. but I don't want to take away necessarily from from A&M itself because what happened on Saturday was the product of 2020 so far. It was horrible defense. It was not oh, okay. figuring out, not having this conference figured out in a way that we probably think that we do. And just that random 60 minute, I have no idea how to explain this, Sort of, sort of day. That's kind of what happened in College Station, although it was for yeah. a lot of the reasons that I kind of brought up in the pregame and why I thought this was a very dangerous game for Florida. I so,
1: and we're gonna get to Sunday morning. Apologies later, and, and we'll dive into it. I was, I, I like so as soon as it happened, I, we posted our staff picks the day before, and and Connor caught a lot of heat from Florida fans, like in the Facebook group and just on like regular. IG you know, too, yeah. yeah, Terrible. And so I I was like, like as soon as they won, I tweeted from SCS, like a lot of you owe Connor O'Gara an apology. And Connor texted me, he's like, yeah, he's like, including you, basically, like you laughed at me on the podcast. I was like, oh shit, I did. Like, <laughs> I forgot, totally forgot about that. And so, like, it, it, it was it was so, I I, I just kind of thought we knew who A&M was, we knew who Mond was, because of what we seen the week before and there was a point in this game and we'll get into it like like breaking down what happened where I, I think you could you could literally see a shift in the the entire identity of AM's team and what they were going to commit to and from that moment on it was game over there was you could just you could just sense something was going on with florida and i mean god i didn't think that florida was going to lose cuz look at the way it started it started out the way exactly how i said it was going to start yep tons of points overs all that kind of stuff that second half happened and second half adjustments and you were
0: you were spot on, man. Buddy Johnson forces the late fumble on Malik Davis. You feel bad for Malik Davis because you yeah. know what that kid has gone through with injuries and all that stuff. But AM gets the walk off field goal, and Jimbo Fisher finally gets that win against a top five team. It's AM's first win against a top five team since twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. That's Wait, kind of trolley wasn't it? Wasn't it
1: uh, yeah, it was the start of the year. Um, I wonder who, the, who their top five win was against. It had to be the beginning of the year, like South Carolina or something.
0: No, we know it wasn't November. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. Um, um, so there was there was another stat, and they kept bringing it up, and I couldn't figure out what it was. But I believe it was like since like 1995 or something like that. It's the first top five win they had at Kyle Field since then. Gosh, that's a wild thought. Wild I mean, thought. This, the stat I gave you the, the other day when we were going over our, our picks and predictions. They were they were 0 and 10 in their last 10 games as, as a home underdog by seven points or less, which is like basically any ranked team, right? And yeah. that was right ahead of them, whatever. And then they were they
0: were five and 25 in their last 30, so it had been a while since this had happened. But why did this happen? It happened because the issue that I that I thought could happen with Florida defending on third down, when you have a quarterback who can move and yeah, Kellen Mond did, and Kellen Mond balled. That's the best game I've ever seen him play, including yep. that Clemson game two years ago. He made some throws to Caleb Chapman that you're just like, holy cow, who is this guy? And I understand part of that is the Florida defense, who, by the way, has now allowed 100 points. That's the most in any three-game span since 1917. Third and Grantham, Great. woof. 12 and, 12 and 15 third downs they converted. That's terrible.
1: I've I noticed this last week, and, and there was a reason why going into that game, against Ole Miss, Bama had the sixth worst uh, third down defense in the country. Because all last week, I saw it over and over and over again, Kellen Mon just would stepping up. And, and I kept thinking to myself, what they ought to do is just run Isaiah Spiller on first and second down and then just not let Kellen Mon throw until third down. 'Cause he is he was good. The best third down quarterback in the history of college football, or, or maybe all of football, and I'm obviously exaggerating, but it was They
0: figure that out. They figured yeah. that out though. They're like they had that one drive where they're just like, We're gonna run Isaiah Spiller, we don't care if you know that we're running the ball. And Florida's open field tackling it's terrible. It's absolutely yeah. awful. The the things that I was saying about this team in Week One against Ole Miss and saying ah they're gonna get better once they get healthy all that right. no 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 this team is struggling mightily. They look like a team. They look like a team that hasn't tackled since last year. And I know that Dan Mullen brought that up after the Ole Miss game. But sooner or later you have to be able to make some open field tackles because Florida made Caleb Chapman look like an All American. I mean yeah th- that th- there's no excuse for some of the coverage breakdowns. That they had, and I understand that they were in position to win that game, and I feel bad for a guy like Kyle Trask, who Kyle Trask still played really, really well, and Kadarius Tony is is doing everything that Florida fans could ever hope that he was going to do in that offense. It's about time.
1: So that's the good thing. Not
0: his fault. Yeah, there were a lot of positives from the offensive side of it. You're right. But when Kyle Pitts was limited in the second half with his ankle. And they did not necessarily have that go-to mismatch. You saw a couple of tiny little chinks in the armor for Florida, and understandably so. You take a player of that caliber out of the lineup, and it's like, hey, we gotta we gotta try. It's it's not as automatic as it was. So, but this is this is a testament to to AM being able to bounce back. And for Kellen Mon to respond the way that he did, and Isaiah Spiller as well, who I criticize criticized Isaiah Spiller in this ground game last year for how much they struggled against good competition. But the Aggies finding a way to win when it looks like, you know, down down double digits in the second half. Yeah. You're counting AM out. Nine times out of ten, I'd say AM probably loses that game, but they took advantage of some key opportunities and they finally did the little things to yep. beat a really good team.
1: I, I tell you what, there was a moment in the in the second half where it did look like things were falling apart because in the first half, it looked like, honestly, almost every other SEC game we watched yesterday was just back and forth, back and forth. Nobody seven out seven. either one. And we've seen that a lot. From, yeah, we've seen that a lot from M over the years where, like, you know, that scripted first series, Jimbo is maybe the best in the business in that, like, or like, you know, a, a top five play caller when it comes to that scripted first series of the game because they, they do really well with that. I know at least against Bama, they always do. Um, and so I, I thought they'd come out early and keep it close, but I, I honestly thought that Florida would pull away late and, and just throw all over this defense. And, and in early in the second half, there was a moment where Jimbo, I don't, I don't know if it was like a must champ and field goal situation where he had no idea what timeouts were for.
0: And oh, they, they were spiked just, the ball and then they called a timeout after it. Yeah. It was yeah. terrible.
1: And then, and then they, they called another timeout at like, and they were, they were like, what is he doing now? Cause he, he called two, like, I think in the third quarter alone, like early. Yeah. And and Mullen was doing the same thing. So they come out of the timeout and and it was, I hate to use this example, but like, it reminds me of, remember that 2012 SEC Championship game when Bama got like a first down or something and, and DJ Fluker started like stomping around. And like from then on, it was like, all right, we're running behind this guy. We're running the football over and over. That's exactly what it reminded me of because from that moment forward, they just decided we are gonna run the football. We're gonna be more physical than you. We're gonna execute at a better level. But but more than anything, like we're going to we're going to be more physical than you. And, and Todd Grantham blitzed and blitzed and blitz
0: all day. They just attacked the middle Mond of the field was, though. Middle of the yeah, field. That's the, it. They just st- st- inside them inside the hashes, and it was automatic for them. Yeah.
1: And and Kellen Mine was eighty percent on third downs, eighty percent on a completion percentage on third downs. And it was it was kind of ironic because you sit there watching Weidermeyer, the tight end, who's just in, we're not talking about that kid nearly enough. That one handed catch he made i just an bullet from Mon. That was unbelievable. Um, and you just – but you just saw this – like, I feel like there's always one game, if you're going to play for a championship, and I say it a lot, like where your quarterback has to go out there and win it for you, and you just have to – you don't have your stuff that day. You know what I mean? Like, you just – it's an off day or whatever, and, and you have to dig deep and just and pull out a gutsy win against a team maybe that you should beat, like you said, nine out of ten times. It, Florida did not have – like a championship mentality or a championship toughness or or, or like physical or mental toughness at all yesterday when it mattered most?
0: Florida's season-long outlook, there were people going into this game that were saying it feels like 2019 LSU because the defense can have its moments and you know there are studs back there, but because the offense is so good, they kind of can play this bend but don't break. No, 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 no. Right. This Florida team looks more like 2013 Georgia. Now, 2013 Georgia was Todd Grantham's last defense. We did a couple of just-met-more mm-hmm. games with that group and how bad they were on the defensive end, and it didn't matter how many times Aaron Murray would rally the troops back. The defense was putting them in holes. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to follow the same exact path, but they are I think they're a lot more similar to that 2013 Georgia team that had all that firepower on offense. You're yeah. like, this is so exciting. This is incredible. But then you look on the defensive side, and you're just like, oh, Todd Grantham's system is not working at all. And Florida, I still think Florida's going to bounce back. I really do. I had this game predicted as a loss in the preseason. I had it predicted as a loss going into this week. I think Florida has much better days ahead. I think Florida beats LSU. I think Florida is still going to be set up in position to, I think, yeah, which isn't saying as much now. I think Florida is still going to be set up in position to potentially win this division. Now, we'll get to Georgia later and why they answered a key question in that Tennessee game. My outlook for Florida really doesn't change a whole lot because I think they're going to bounce back really well. That's what well-coached teams do. Right. Now, a And M, does this change your outlook for them? Because I still look at them and I think that they're a six and four team.
1: Yeah, it still does. I mean, this is. It was a great win. Uh, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from it. It's a. I love the fact that Jimbo and I love the fact that Jimbo was able to get it after all of the scrutiny he's been under right and and just like try getting that monkey off your back of not being able to win the big one more than anything i, I love it for kellen mon like florida's exactly, a great team yeah. and this is this is not a discount to them at all but if there's a player in this conference that needed that win it, like more than anyone it was Kellen and, and and i think that it was it was awesome to see him get that win for one and then also be the reason why it happened for the most part you know like i, I we talk about the run game for sure but he was incredible that entire game I don't think that it means they're going to, you know... I I mean, who are they going to be to... They're not
0: going to win the division. And they've no, already, played, no, and they've already so. played Bama, so it's like, where else can you go? The interesting thing now is with LSU and Auburn looking much more vulnerable, yeah. um, that A&M, after the week that it has, all of a sudden is like, hey, you know what? Second fiddle in this division not looking as crazy as it once did. By the way, that A&M crowd, you know... <laughs> It was definitely a factor, and yeah. I'll just say this: I'll say this. I don't think it was that big of a factor. Uh, d- even Dan Mullen said afterwards, it was definitely a factor. Yeah, Mullen Dan Mullen was, was making an excuse because they lost. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. If you saw the the, the images I, of that crowd, which was oh, very yeah. full on the second level, yeah. Here's my theory. So you know how in the past we've seen if you're like a bottom feeder program, and just right. in college football in general. You can fudge those numbers. You always fudge yeah. those attendance numbers because it's paid attendance. It's not actually in-stadium attendance. <laughs> right. It is so 2020, and it would be so 2020, if they set a capacity number and then squeezed more in. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, well, Georgia did
1: last week too.
0: Like, yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest. Like, watching watching that Georgia game, the Georgia crowd looked way more distanced, and I'm not going to get into, like, yeah. who's distancing and who's not distancing. But in a game like that, where you know how important, that's probably the biggest home game of the year for A&M. And the fact that you see a crowd like that who was amped up, ready to go. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if there was more than 24,000 people oh, yeah. in attendance that day. I'll just say that. There
1: there definitely was more than more than 24,000 people in attendance that day. I, I just, I don't think that, like when Dan Mullen had his little tirade afterwards, um, he wants to swamp like, pact
0: for LSU next week, and Scott Strickland is very reluctant to do that because they want to keep the current protocols in place, despite the fact that DeSantis has said, Hey, So I,
1: I thought it was it was interesting with Mullen. Like, I, he, I thought he was a thousand percent bitching and moaning about the loss and he was overreacting to it. That being said, as much as I hated it, it was one of the more relatable moments I've ever had. With Dan Mullen because he handled that exactly how I would have handled something in the moment, like overreacting, like not react, not like responding with any kind of logic or, or like calm, like reasonable reaction. It was just all petty and angry and, and frustrated and, and projecting. And I was like, I get that, yeah, who does it, man? But that's exactly what was going on. I, like the fact that he was like, oh, we're going to pack the swap. There were fifty thousand people in that section behind us, and I was like, bro, first off. You're the number three team in America. This is a team that has been, tw- like, think about all the numbers coming into this game. Like, how, how, you're supposed to be a better team. And by the way, like, at some point, like, crowd noise should be a factor you should be able to overcome. Like, going on the road and beating a team has been a staple of winning a national championship for every other team in the history of college football. So, I don't understand why he, he was that upset about, like, crowd noise. But, it, dude, like, it's 2020. Like, overcome adversity.
0: I would agree with that. And obviously, I think that if Mullen had, a, you know, an hour or two to be able to calm down, I think he would have responded a little bit differently, frustrated with yeah, the way that things played doubt. out down the stretch. LSU, the team that Florida is going to see next week. And it was supposed to be the host of college game day, but we'll see if that actually ends up happening. As of right now, we're recording this 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. We don't know that just yet. Unreal. But. LSU laid a massive, massive egg against Mizzou. And Mizzou, I don't want to take away from what Mizzou did because that is the natural thing in a game like this that doesn't go the way that anybody thought it right. would go. But Mizzou stuns LSU, and now the defending national champs are 1-2 after Joshua Bledsoe had an incredible pass breakup against Terrace Marshall, who was just on fire and made a really, yeah. really good play on the ball. And we'd be having a much different conversation about LSU if he didn't make that play. So I want to give credit where credit's due. By the way, Nick Bolton, the pass breakup that he had Incredible. on the play before that. I mean, that, that Mizzou defense, it was very bend but don't break. We have to talk about Polini first because... Okay. Well,
1: let's uh, keep, well, before we talk about an assistant coach, let's give the head coach... Eli Drinkwitz, some some love for his first, first SEC win. All four new head coaches have a win now in on conference. It's got to be a record of how quick it happened. Um, and, and the level at which they were able to do it, you talk about, like, Pittman going on the road to Mississippi State after the week before what Mississippi State did. Um, you know, Kiffin going on the road to Kentucky. All of them, obviously, underdogs. Those two on the road. Who's the third one?
0: We're, you're forgetting. we got Kiffin. We've got Leach. Leach oh, yeah, Leach. One.
1: So, so all of them on the road. Leeches, uh, or the other three on the road. Leeches obviously was huge. Um, it's crazy how that seems like it was like decades ago now. Yeah. And and then Eli Drakewood's, and it was it was kind of funny because, you know, they were playing like this like, you know, they were playing Mizzou. They they were they were Mizzou was playing this whole thing of like, hey guys, we'll just we'll, we'll be sheltered from the storm. Come on up here. You can play the game at our place. We'll feed Mike the tiger. We have a giant sign saying welcome to the zoo. All those things. And then it was like. Wow, Hansel and Gretel type
0: level crap. And, and as soon as they got in the building, they just absolutely like demolished them. Mizzou was playing without Damon Hazleton and Kiki Chisholm because of contact racing. And you have Connor Bazelak in his first start with Eli Drinkwitz. And all that kid did was come out and dunk all over that LSU defense. Now he was thrown into some wide open windows, but still 29 to 34, 406 yards, four touchdowns. That you know what? That is what it looks like when scheme is working, and you're throwing yeah. into these massive windows. And it's not just a guy on the outside that you're taking an, you're taking advantage of a specific matchup. But it seemed like all day there were just wide open spaces. And if you made the LSU's defense is still practicing social distancing joke, congratulations, you are officially cliche, and you might be a dad. I I'm not over. We can definitely talk about Pelini now. now, because I am not. I do you say Pelini?
1: No, not, we can definitely talk about Pelini now because I—I oh, I, I am not, I am not okay with what I'm watching from from LSU. I'm not an LSU fan, but what is happening on that field is unacceptable on so many levels, and I, I cannot understand how, like, how could they be that bad
0: on defense? That's a good question. That defense is is beyond awful, and it, I, I know that there are going to be people who are going to say, ah, oh, you know, they're young, blah blah blah. Derek Stingley made two business decisions on open field tackles that were awful, awful, yep, terrible. Much like Grant Elpit last year against against Ole Miss, they were the type of plays that if if there is an anti-Derek Stingley argument, which I didn't even know that was possible, right. that's going to be part of it. Jacoby Stevens got absolutely worked on one of those flea flickers where you're like, hey, man, you're, you're supposed to be, like, our five-star, you know, veteran leader yeah, of that defense. Yeah, tackles. And it looked like he had never seen a flea flicker before. They allowed 8.6 yards per play, which was worse than the 8.3 yards per play they allowed against Mississippi State. That is hard uh, to grasp.
1: Hard, yeah, like, the, the play that did it for me was, because I – I saw – I was excited as, as somebody that was betting on it because I, I was like, oh, man, LSU is going up there. The line is dropping, like, cr- crazy, crazy amounts because they dropped of, to 14. And then the first half line dropped to seven. Oh, wow. I I was 8-1 in my noon picks, Connor, and there's no way I'm going to tell you how much money I actually was able to walk away with because of that damn LSU game. It was not – it was not consistent with the numbers. But, like, they – Going into that, I, I just kind of assumed, and we said it like all offseason, like Derek Singley's going to shut down half the field, and, and and you know, and I understand like part of that is just you know it's it's a, just a saying, and he's obviously not going to be like this, like be that impactful on a, on a defense for the entire game. But there was a, a play late in the fourth quarter, I think on the final drive where they scored, where there was no one within thirty yards, like thirty yards it was of, of a player, that no one came into into the screen, it, like. 30 yards and absolutely nobody's there. And then you see Stingley downfield, and then he gets like just turned all around, and they get down to the three-yard line. What was impressive to me more than anything, like on top of the fact that they kept coming back and kept coming back and just and like trading punches, what was more impressive to me than anything was they were able to run the ball. We saw we've seen LSU get like torched in the air. We've already seen that once. Like that's that doesn't do anything for me. Like they were outgained. On the ground, 180-49, to and at halftime, they had one yard rushing. Terrible.
0: Just terrible. And you know what? Miles Brennan was good. Terrace Marshall was automatic. Terrace Marshall played like an All-American. He looked like Jamar Chase levels of unstoppable in that game. And you're frustrated if you're an LSU fan because you're like, that's what we needed to see out of this out of this passing game specifically. The running game still is not apparently very reliable because all it's done is, well, look good against Vandy. That's it. Vandy, and you yeah. can say the same thing about this defense because Bo Pelini is getting paid way too much money to look that bad for 60 minutes. He's getting paid $2.3 million annually. And there are a lot of people who say, look, you got to fire him right now. I don't know that Cocho is the type of coach who's gonna fire a coordinator mid season because he didn't even do it with Matt Canada. And you remember and how badly like that too. Went. Yeah, and and the Matt Canada thing was was failed from the jump and, and Coach O yeah. knew it, but this he wants to make work because it was his big hire. And we know that there's something personal with Coach O and this Dave Aranda element and wanting to show that he can be able to figure out this defense. And we've praised Coach o for his personnel decisions in the past. This one looks like his worst yet. You can't well, ignore how bad this LSU defense has been the first two weeks when you have a coordinator that's making that much money. No.
1: I I, I I jokingly said this on Twitter, and I was on. Honest, it's honestly, it's barely a joke. I, I would have been hard pressed not to leave him there in, in Como. I, I just that what happened is so, in, in my opinion, it's such a commitment to not fitting the scheme or changing what you're doing. Like, where are the to, to adjustments? A, where, where are they? Yeah, I, I no no clue. Like, they're nowhere to be found, and it blows my mind because we talked about it all. Last week and looking forward, like why did not they go to zone ever? Why like why would you not go to zone at at any point in a, against an offense that's throwing the Stubborn. ball seventy eight thousand times a game? And then you look at this this defense like this week, I just don't understand how like you have. I know they're young and I know, but we heard again all offseason, we're not going to make excuses for LSU because we heard from everyone they're going to reload and they're bringing Bo Pelini back and and I think. Nothing's ever as good as, like, the first one. You know what I mean? Like, like Bama's defense is not going to be as good what do you mean as, by that? Without, without Kirby and, and Jeremy Pruitt. That offense is not going to be as good without Joe Brady. Like, Steven's finger's fine. Miles Brennan is, is, is not getting near enough love, and that's, like, I, I will admit that on my end. And, and Terrace Marshall should be talked about. He, he should be a household name. He's got when 20 he's, touchdowns
0: he's, in his last 15 games. That is stupid. I
1: mean, he has, like, what, eight on the season right now?
0: uh or 7 it, it, yeah i think it's i think it's 7 he's got multiple touchdowns in 5 of his last 6 games Right. back to the playoff last year
1: he has at least two in every game so far this season and, and so there's there's stuff to like for sure but th- this pelini thing and maybe this is just me being convinced of his personality it just seems like he is not going to go
0: out of his way to do things th- that are any way but his own listen i was i was in nebraska for the pelini era like, I, I covered I cover that that team in the home games, and I saw those post-game press conferences, and I saw those moments when he was at his wit's end. And when you would see these games, like I remember going to this game, I covered this game where they played uh, Brett Hundley, UCLA, and Jim yeah. Moore as the head coach. And Nebraska was leading, I think like 21 to seven or something like that, it, like early in the second quarter. And then LSU scored, I think, 38 unanswered, or something like that. And in the post game, it's not about it's not about adjustments. It's about right. it's all it, it all just fires back to the players. And it's not about what did I do as a coach when they figured me out. No, 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 no. It was about the players not executing. Blah blah blah. I get it. Players got to execute. Like some of the there's no excuse for some of the open field tackling issues that they had. Yeah. They look like a team that hasn't tackled in a year. I get that. But I've been seeing this this Pellini stubbornness for a long time. And I, I, I was one of those people that was more high on him coming into this year because I thought, you know what, if he could just chill out, if he could just mm-hmm. chill out, that they'd be in much better shape. But he is still so unbelievably stubborn. He's still as stubborn now as he was eight years ago when he wasn't making those adjustments. And that, right. to me, is the most frustrating thing is that you don't even have a coach who's going to want to figure things out at this point. And his yeah. job should be dependent on that. But after what we've seen these first three weeks, I have no faith that that Bopalini is willingly going to make adjustments unless Coach O says, I'm taking over this defense and you're just basically going to be a bystander.
1: Which I don't think is that far fetched from happening, and there's, I hate this for Coach O because we did we have praised his hires a lot and, and deservingly so because I mean again, going out to get Joe Brady was an unbelievable move that that obviously worked wonders. I I think you're right about everything you said about the the Aranda stuff and and there's a reason why Coach O would have been that outspoken, not just having coach speak and trying to like. There's you know, something there. Him. Yeah, like, I don't think he would have been that outspoken about, like, this defense is way better than it was last year. And then you see the result on the field, and you're like, it's not. It's really – it's way worse. And last year's, before the national title game, when they had all those injuries and stuff like that, like, from a statistical standpoint, wasn't great. But this is worse. And so, like, watching him in the postgame press conference space and and him saying out loud, like, it's unacceptable for our defense to look like this and and we need to coach better, and then shifting that immediately saying, and it starts with me – I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like, it's, it's Coach O. He can do anything. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he just takes over and is now the head coach and the defensive coordinator and then also the team nutritionist.
0: Yeah, seriously. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bad loss for LSU, but great win for Mizzou. Yep. Good for Eli Drinkowitz getting on the board. Mizzou, a little bit frisky. A little bit frisky. Go figure. Tennessee and Georgia. Man, if you flipped off oh, this game on, at halftime. Real quick,
1: real quick. Stat, stat of the day from them. Mizzou had forty five points and five hundred and eighty six total yards. In their first two games, they they had thirty-one total points.
0: So it was a little yes. bit differently. A little yes. bit differently with that offense on, on Saturday. Yeah. Anyway. Tennessee and Georgia. A game that if you flipped it off at halftime, you were saying to yourself, Wow, Tennessee is there. These two teams are on the same level physically. Tennessee is ready to compete for an SEC East title. Let's go. And then the second half happened. And you were reminded that this Georgia team, with that front seven especially, and all the dudes that they have up front, are a problem. And Georgia is still a level above Tennessee. And, man, outscoring Tennessee 27 to nothing in the second half. We just talked about the lack of adjustments with LSU. Interesting number there. Why is is 27 to nothing interesting?
1: My dumbass is the one that picked them to lose the whole game outright
0: 27 to nothing. Uh, so that's what you got, meant in the second half. You, you had an yeah. asterisk. We just forgot to put it in the picks when you said exactly. that's going to be the second half score. You were right. I know what you meant. I,
1: I was shocked that the, that the it was that high scoring of a game in general. But it was, it was interesting because I, I said people overreact to that, and I guess with good reason. I didn't realize how offensive that would be to say you're just going to get absolutely blanked. And, but I was saying it like I thought from like a logical standpoint of they have, Georgia hasn't given up a touchdown since the first drive of the season. They've given up three field goals since this, this defense is incredible, and, and I've I've gone on and on and on about it, and I'm going to continue to do it because the numbers just only get better each and every week. So, I, all I my my point was Tennessee I thought had the best running back duo in the in the conference, and, and they were starting to like emerge and establish themselves, especially if the week before against Mizzou. But there was no matchup for Tennessee that I, I could figure out where I thought they were going to be able to exactly like, that's like what you're hurt in. Georgia and and. Yeah. And and the biggest thing I said was out, outside of a special teams or defensive touchdown, I don't see how they score. And lo and behold, for <laughs> forty three <laughs> seconds in, they get a snap over the over the quarterback's head and and they recover for a touchdown. I was like, you got to be effing kidding me. Of course, um, of course. But it, but it's just it was one of those things where Tennessee looked really good in in the first half, and it was awesome to see like like, like JG was eleven of thirteen for one hundred and twenty four yards. Like they they were they were everything was working it, but what you said Georgia was still a, a step ahead of Tennessee Georgia showed me yesterday they're they're a step ahead everyone in this conference like everyone top to bottom they pulled away as and as in my opinion the best team in the SEC
0: that's i I can't I can't disagree with that at at this point and it kind of feeds into what I was saying in the preseason about how I think Georgia after the first three games it's going to have, is actually going to be in a good place to know who it is, and it's going to beat Alabama. And I'm still going to be on record for that. But before we kind of move on to, to all that, this game itself, you saw the Jekyll and Hyde with JG in every possible way. What what a perfect example of why he's so frustrating because the two touchdown passes that he had in the first half to Josh oh Palmer, Josh Palmer's a player, man. And the question yeah. who is going to replace Juwan Jennings, he has answered that. There is no doubt about it. And I'm I'm glad for that Tennessee offense because that gave them more of a chance in this game, without a doubt. And JG did some things in the first half where you're just like, all right, like this this might actually be he's having a moment right now where George Pickens squirts him with the water bottle on the sideline, and then all he does two plays later is throw that dime to Josh Palmer, and you're like, wait a minute, JG, that was like that was poised as hell. That yeah. was awesome. That was really, really impressive to see the Stepping way that he was. up just on
1: third down, like making key throws, it, like putting, putting him like only where his guy could go get it. Josh Palmer, by the way, I made a list of, of, of like names we should be saying more, and, and he was on it. Terrace
0: Marsh was on it, a couple other guys we've already mentioned. But, yeah, he, he, is, a, he is a stud. Jalen Watermeyer is also on it. This is basically just yeah. my, um, uh, my fan tracks SEC fantasy team. These are all yeah, these guys, go. by the way. Um, but the second half – You see that Tennessee, of course, and we knew this coming in. This wasn't news. Tennessee, during that winning streak where they had the longest active Power 5 winning streak, didn't have to play any team like that for 60 minutes. And Georgia, the way that they just keep coming and coming. And Aziz Aziz Ojulari. I can't say that fast. I need to slow down whenever I say his name. Monty Rice. Those guys were incredible, and you saw that front seven just give them so many problems. And Tennessee can't be this team that's one-dimensional. That's just not the way that their right. offense is built. They had negative one rushing yards for how much we talked about this offensive line. That's a testament to this Georgia defense. They they absolutely got after it in the second half.
1: I I had Tennessee fans coming at me from all over, and listen, this is something that I even said a week a week ago. I I put it on Twitter like biggest takeaways from last week, and I said it on the podcast. Is is this running back duo at Tennessee the best in the in the SEC? It has nothing to do with not respecting those two players or, or Tennessee or like their town or, or or their offense or whatever. And, and like I, I try to make this as clear as possible, all of it has to do with how good this Georgia defense is. And, and I know you guys are, are sick of me saying it, but like it can't be stressed enough, man. It like it, it's it is. They are suffocating. If Kirby Smart doesn't call fourth down, or like like whatever dumbass fourth down calls he made like twice in the first half,
0: had the goal line stand at the end of the first half. Yeah.
1: I mean, like th- those two those two running backs. One of them was leading the SEC in, in, in total rushing yards, and they come into this game and, and like listen, they had negative one yards rushing because of the sack yards. So take those away though, and they had hold on forty five like- yards on twenty two carries
0: pretty good that's
1: pretty yeah. good i mean it's, it's just like five sacks like however many turnovers they were in the backfield the entire second half and it looked miserable for, for jg it's it, it, it's which says a lot about their halftime adjustments but also i kept saying like listen I, how are you gonna score 20 points i understand that tennessee scored 21 points and this again incredible effort and, and, and good job by jim chaney in the first half i'm not gonna put all of this on jg what he what he's facing is it, it's like it's almost impossible
0: that's what Pruitt said. He's like, you know, it really wasn't gonna make a difference who we put back there because if you can't protect your quarterback against right. those guys, you don't have a chance because they weren't gonna be able to run the football. Yeah, that, that was they they were set up to, to fail in that second half when they st- when they stopped being able to to get the protection to hold. Georgia has outscored Tennessee eighty two oh, to twelve in the last four second halves that they've played. Eighty two to twelve? 82 to 12. Georgia, by the way, has trailed in two of its first three games at halftime. And then it is still covered in all three. That's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. Amazing. I
1: I just, I I honestly, like, like I I think I said, it's like the best college football or best defense we've seen in college football in a decade. It, it, honestly, it maybe it's better. It probably isn't better than twenty eleven Bama, but I'm just like last week they came into this game with like fifty eight yards, like fifty eight rushing yards allowed per game. That number's down to thirty five. Just they they lead in every single category. And and Gary Danielson, as much as everyone hates him, he put it best. It's not the fact that they have like a good defense. It's they have like not even just the starters, twenty to twenty five guys that rotate in and out consistently and and have plenty of. Of experience from last year and, and, and are really really talented.
0: It's just, it's it never ends. At uh, ESPN Upstate, Mark Ryan, who like he follows Clemson very closely, he's like Clemson, like this is exactly why Clemson is the number one defense defense in the country. And I responded and no. I'm like, oh, so you just haven't watched Georgia yet? Like that's that's what you're yeah. telling us is you just haven't watched Georgia yet? They're the number one team. They're not the number one defense. Yeah. More embarrassing moment. Or more embarrassing overall, the George Pickens water bottle squirt or Jeremy Pruitt's mask slash babushka? So his babushka is hilarious,
1: and and I love that Jeremy Pruitt is so – he just owns how ridiculous
0: he can be sometimes. He's Cartman. You know? He's Cartman. That's who he is, right? Is, or is yeah. it Cartman or, or Kenny? That uh, Kenny's the one with the hood. And Kenny's stuff the one the part, that always right? dies. I don't think he's Kenny. Um, but, he, but
1: he's he, – like, Pruitt is is, is a a really likable coach, and I just I really enjoy what he's what he's building there. And I know I say that every week, but like, the foundation is there. And and I really I I said this um, to somebody earlier this week. I think we did our picks and our article. I can't wait for this game next year because I I fully think that Tennessee will will have arrived at that point. And like that defense, Tennessee's defense is legit. I think Georgia has a lot of concerns, and and there there's some negative things I have about Georgia, but like Tennessee's defense is legit. Henry. Telltale
0: is thing. awesome.
1: Awesome. He's awesome. Awesome. He's, he is so damn good. And even though he's only a, a, a true sophomore, that defense, and especially under Jeremy Pruitt, they are going to be, I don't know about up there with Georgia's this year, but they're going to be close. And, and they, they were a phenomenal, phenomenal defense to watch yesterday. And they gave Setson Bennett, you know, some issues early on. And, and listen, like, Zamir White had a career day the, the week before this, right? Zamir White, Zamir White comes in with 22 carries for 50 yards. That's, I mean, that's a solid, solid day. It's not the defense's fault.
0: DeAndre Johnson, by the way, getting tossed in the first quarter for targeting did oh not God. help Tennessee. I thought that was that was probably something that was going to be costly in the second half, just not being a able to goal. have your, your best pass rusher. That's, that's a tough situation given what he was trying to do and given yeah. that it wasn't, you know, by by nature of the rule, I guess it's right, but it's tough to see a guy just get tossed like that, and that was a significant right. absence. I'm not saying that, that changes the result for Tennessee, but – I don't know. I I think that there's, don't get me wrong. Like beating the teams that you're supposed to beat, all well and good. Tennessee is in a much different place than it was at this time a year ago. There's no doubt about it. But I, I thought for for Tennessee, that was such a deflating second half to just see that there's still that gap. It's still yeah. more evident oh. than than what we thought it was going to be, probably.
1: I'll be honest though, and it, it, like, it's never too early for for bad takes. But so I think that I said this before the game. I think Tennessee has a better chance of beating Bama than they did Georgia, the way they're built. And, and I, I fully mean that because I just don't see, I, I don't see how people are going to be able to consistently score on that, on that um, Georgia defense, and I think that's what happened with, with, with Tennessee. But can we talk about Kirby's fourth down calls, please? Fire away. What in the hell is he doing? Like, he goes out of his way to blow leads for no reason, for absolutely no reason. Like, there's no... – that game, at that point, Tennessee had 57 total yards of offense. The... Georgia was dominating that game. They were in complete control of that game. And he goes for it on fourth and one from his own
0: 36. Like, there's no reason to do that. Uh, it's more of a confidence in your defense, I think, than anything else. The confidence in your defense comes from punning the ball and then
1: getting, like, pinning them deep because Camarda's been incredible the entire year. They hadn't moved the... They hadn't moved all day. That, like, like I get the confidence in your defense, but they scored on the next play on a 36-yard,
0: like, right. fade route. It was a huge swing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The
0: Bennett sneak did not work out at all.
1: And at the end of the half, I just did not understand the, the same decision. It's like, that one made more sense. But on your own 36-yard line in the second quarter, I was just like, dude, d- we get it, man. But, like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. Interesting move, to say the least. But Georgia still gets a comfortable win and is now one of two unbeatens left heading into week four. The other remaining SEC unbeaten is Alabama. Alabama and Ole Miss. Oh boy, this game. This game made me rethink what defense is, well, and what offense is, because we saw more yards of total offense, 1,370. That's an SEC record. We saw more combined points, 111, than any SEC regulation game ever. 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 This, this game scored was a 13 more points oh. than Texas Oklahoma, and that went to four overtimes. This game was everything I hoped it would be. It really was. It was. It was. It awful. was from from a neutral fan standpoint, this game had Lane's offense on full display, and that's going to be the, the popular topic of conversation. Was Lane doing all of this to Saban's defense? Real quick, Matt Corral ain't scared of anybody. I love that. Watching all the way that he, he performed. talk about more. He needs to be talked about more. He and Miles Brennan are in this category of they're one and two, but their defenses are terrible. And we'd be talking about them so much differently if their teams were both three and o right now.
1: I completely agree. I wouldn't have put him in the same category as Brennan because I, I saw what Brennan did on the big stage. Corral hasn't done that at all. Yeah, Corral's been better. Like, yeah, way better. Like, I mean, like, Corral went up and like, listen, that Bama defense is, was is not good apparently, and and they were. They were awful last night, but at the same time, if you put up twenty-eight passes in the air against an Alabama defense for four quarters in a back-and-forth match like that, and none of them are intercepted, and you complete seventy-five percent of them for three hundred and sixty-five yards, that's a damn good day. That's and, and like a I think really on that day. stage, like we saw Miles Brennan really struggle against Mississippi State and against right. his first start, all that kind of stuff. Corral has been so consistently good this entire season and and has been arguably maybe the MVP of of
0: any team in the SEC. He was leading the country in QBR coming into this game. And then he went out and had that performance there. uh, Todd McShay was at that game and Todd McShay was like, there are going to be some NFL draft eyes on him. And understandably so, because he's got the arm he he's, he's been, I when I did the story on him, he said, there's a rule at Ole Miss that he can't come into any sort of meeting without food. He doubles up on breakfast now, he eats hard boiled eggs and oatmeal, and he's tr- been trying to gain it weight. Doesn't. Right, exactly, that's kind of standard, of course. But he's been trying to gain weight because you see some of the, and, I, and they made the comparison on the broadcast to Johnny Manziel. Like, that, that's the lazy comparison to make at this stage. And he actually wants to deviate from that despite the fact that he started wearing number two because of Johnny Manziel. But then he's like, Yeah, eh, the off the field stuff, I don't want that comp, I want to be my own guy. But Matt Corral is making Ole Miss so fun. And it's going to be lost in the shuffle because, and we're going to get to it in a second here, the fact that Alabama's defense allowed over 600 yards of offense. But do not underestimate what he is doing and why it is so unique because they're making guys like Kenny Yeboa look like all-american type players and it's not just the elijah moore show or anything like that no i mean this this offense has balance it can do everything and that's what's so unique about it watch Ole miss every single week and again i say it every single week you will not be disappointed so we, we talk about
1: this like a lot with uh with with play callers and 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 how they script that first series we talked about earlier with jimbo all that kind of stuff Watching Lane Kiffin, I, and listen, I fully believe that Lane Kiffin was, like, this summer, you know, getting some, like, focus meds from from, from co-eds on campus and just, like, you know what? I'm knocking this out. I'm going to focus on this for roughly three months, and I'm going to have he a game He had that gameplay forever.
0: Plan. You know it. You know
1: it. Oh, like, he, he came out, I, I, like, with a little more swag, but, it, like, I guarantee you there was, like, a, a Charlie from – always sunny moment like that gif where he's got like <laughs> all the t- different stuff on like the, the board and he's like, trying to connect the dots and everything i, I guarantee you there was a moment where-, where he he was like that this summer because for whatever reason he, he has this very jaded and-, and vengeful attitude towards sabin it was incredibly fun to watch from that standpoint because he he just had his way with him like there's no other way to put it anything he wanted to do he was able to do and, and watching him Draw up those play calls the entire game. I know Dylan Moses said afterwards that, that he he was 100 percent certain that that Ole Miss had Bama's play calls. It was it was beautiful to watch. It was the best play calling I've seen in SEC game from both sides. I think maybe ever. It, it looked like it was like if Joe Brady was calling both plays like from
0: from for both teams. It was it was awesome. We praised this Bama defense the last couple of weeks. I thought they looked good the last couple of weeks. I know they had their There's moments. No injuries to blame. Yeah, there's no injuries to blame. That's the problem. Is that you have Dylan Moses back, and you have this. You know, you're supposed. You're pretty much healthy in the front seven. I understand not having a fully healthy Christian Barmore is. It is what it is. I don't think sure. that that's a reason that you can chalk up a performance like that. But no. I'm old enough to remember, and you're old enough to remember certainly when. And that that wasn't an age joke. That came out like an age it joke. I'm sorry. Did, yeah. That was mean. That was mean. I'm sorry. I take that back. I'm old enough to remember when getting 100 yards rushing against Bama was this yep. massive deal. And no, like no one, d- no one guys. did. Ole Miss had two guys. Ole had
1: two guys do it last night. They ran for 268 yards. It, like, it, and it, it was again. It wasn't just that. It was the way, like there were there the way they were gashing Bama. It was it was bad tackling from Bama. That they, they the defense did, had no clue what they were supposed to be doing. So Gene Chizik had a comment last night on on. Uh, what do you call it, SC Final? Whatever the name of the show is, and, and he was talking about LSU's defense, and he said the the conviction of a bad defense, or the, the worst conviction for a defense is that they're soft and or confused, and and this is this team is both, and it was it was really really bad and, and really concerning to watch because, I mean they were they were so many bad angles, there were so many missed tackles, they they could not get in the backfield, all, like all day long, all day long, and it, it, it was. He just – he had an answer for everything. He had an answer for every single thing that Saban or or Pete Golding was trying to do. And he was one to to two, three – I thought he outcoached Saban, to be honest. I really did. Like, it was – it was incredible to watch. It was absolutely incredible to watch.
0: If there was ever a game where we didn't want Saban to be wearing a mask, it was this because some of the lip-reading that would have gone on with Pete Golding, oh, man. And I know Obama fans are at their wit's end. They're like, how does this guy still have a job? I understand that. Part of this has to come back to Saban, though, right? I mean, that, that was a defense that was not ready to go. And the adjustments weren't there. If we're going to sit here and criticize LSU for not making those adjustments in the second half, I mean, Bama's yeah. adjustments were few and far between. You were watching that game with a rooting interest. And tell me that you watched that game and thought, yeah, Bama's about to get a stop right now. When did you think that at any point in that game? Yeah, there was... So- uh well on third and 27 i did connor
1: on third and epping you know what i'll say it's been a tough day on third and 27 i definitely thought we were going to get a stop there and so like for and again for them like to to run right up the middle like in in pistol formation it wasn't like they they ran some trick play or a draw or whatever it was just right up the gut down our throats And, and then that was frustrating. Um, I, there were several times I thought they were going to get stopped. I I have a whole list of, of plays that set out to me. The <laughs> Option run to the short side. So it, like it, they came they came out of a timeout, I believe, and it, they they ran the option and they had like like almost is going left to right on the on the screen, and the running back was on um, the far side of the field. He was, a, he was away on the other side of MacRae, and Bama's defense is all loaded on one side, and they just simply moved the running back over and then ran to the weak side of the field. Ran the option, and it was like no one was near him. It, it was it, all day. Like, there was the shoestring catch that e- Eli Moore made, like on, oh, on second third, or second 12 so or something like that in the third quarter. There were plays that happened, and I was telling anybody that would listen, This is bad. Something bad's about to happen because it felt like one of those things where, especially late in the game, Bama was one turnover from losing that game. You will not convince me otherwise. Yeah, if, I agree. if they turned the ball over one time. They would have lost that game because they were not going to stop Lane Kiffin. I was shocked he didn't go for it on fourth and twelve instead of kicking the field goal. And and yeah. they there was there was a, at no point that I think they were going to stop. No, like so you're right. Th- like the best thing that Kiffin did, and this is what every single offensive coordinator facing Bam should do moving forward. He spread out that defense and had the receivers. You see how far the receivers were away from from the actual like offensive line and
0: tempo. It, yeah,
1: yeah. It, it was I, well. I don't even think the tempo. He kept mixing up the tempo, which was interesting, Um, like where he would like they would hurry up and then he would slow down. But what he was able to do, like getting everyone out wide and really, really spreading out that defense and making them have to react on the fly. I mean, how many how many penalties they have for like substitution infractions? They looked lost the entire time. And and I thought when they came out of the second half and Bama went right down their throats and scored the first touchdown, I took a sigh of relief. And a sip of a beer, and I was like, "This is this is going to be fine." And the moment that Jordan Battle or whatever his name is tried to undercut that route to to the and tight end. collided with
0: Dylan Moses.
1: No, no, no. He he tried to undercut the route um, on like the eight. What's the guy's name? U- Uboya.
0: Uboya. Uboya. Yeah.
1: Uboya. Ye- so he he has like a like within three minutes of the second half, he had like an eighty-yard touchdown.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, and he collided with Dylan Moses after like uh, like as he undercut. Oh, after, yeah. 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 So it
1: just. From then on, I was like, "There's if we don't, if we don't score on every every drive, they're they're gonna lose." This week of practice is probably
0: gonna be hell for Bama preparing for Georgia, especially after what's gonna be on film. I would not want to be one of those defensive players. That's for sure. Real quick on Steve Sarkisian, you, you're gonna be, you're gonna you be proud of this. So I, I Tim Brando and I had a little bit of a little bit of a back and forth. We have a disagreement on on this, and you he's pointed not, this out before. Good, I know it's Ole Miss. I get it. I think Ole Miss is far and away the worst defense in the SEC. Bama only left 41 yards on the field. They punted on the 40-yard line, and then they got stopped. on. They had the fumble on the one-yard line. They scored a touchdown every other possession. They left 41 possible yards on the yep. field. That's, that's it. I know it's Ole Miss, but... Alabama last year had its best offense in school history. That was despite the fact that Tua had the midseason injury. That was despite the fact that Mac Jones was starting late in the year. Alabama is now averaging 54 points per game with Mac Jones, that starting quarterback. Mac Jones is really good. He's really, really good. He's playing at, at an exceptional level. At, at Heisman number level.
1: Heisman level.
0: There are not five quarterbacks in the country playing better football than Mac Jones, and you can't convince no. me otherwise. But it's still unfair to be like, anybody can do that. And this is just, oh, this is anybody. Like, I had people tweeting me saying, oh, I could score 40 points. Yeah, anybody could score 40 points that offense. Bama is scheming in ways that people are just dismissing right now. That's like, you know, there's a reason that Jalen Waddell is exceptional of a route runner as he is why there's nobody within 10 yards of him when he's catching these balls. You know there's a reason why they're still getting single coverage on the outside for John Mechie and why they're able to take advantage of that over the top. You know there's a reason why they're able to assert their will like that and look truly unstoppable for 60 full minutes let's stop pretending like steve sarkisian has the easiest job in the world and like this is all he has to do is just roll out of bed and tell mac jones to go sling it what he is doing right now nobody has stopped this alabama offense since he has took over and if he if we continue to dismiss him as one of the best assistants in the country it'll blow my mind
1: i i'm so glad that you said it not me because like the the crowd of he's not a good play caller is is possibly the dumbest group in all of sports talk or or or, or whatever you want to call it it's just lazy it's lazy it's so it's so lazy and I'm so sick of the air of like how he's like we've got so much more talent blah, blah like it's so hard to grade him no like like grade him based off of like the actual play calls and I tell you what there were there were times last night where I was blown away at, at the call that Sarkeesian made that I, I have I've been watching Alabama football for 30 years and i there, there are things that he did last night that were so perfect, and and a lot of this credit needs to go to Mac Jones because he is fully in control and command of that offense and Balling. doesn't look phased at all. Like, like there, there's a lot of positives still from last night, no matter how bad that defense was, because Mac Jones is unflappable. He, he was, he, he, never wavered once. He came back every single time and scored. Again, one turnover in that game is over in my opinion. He never turned the ball over. They continue to get third downs and first downs, or I mean third, third downs. But there was twice in this game where Steve Sarkeesian called a play that it obviously caught all miss off guard but every I think everyone would have been, was shocked when third and two third like late third early fourth quarter and they ran like it's it's kind of a rub route but basically like the tight end came in on, on a slant and it basically was a fade to the, to, yep. the, to the sideline to, to Devonta Smith on third and two I mean you ran the ball for, for 300 yards. Third and two he calls that and it was perfect play call they get a first down. At late in the fourth quarter with, with I think, less than five minutes to go, he, on first down, they just gotten a, a key third down. On first and 10 from, like, inside the, the Ole Miss 50, he threw a deep ball to Waddle on a, on a double move, and they got down the one-yard line. You I tell love Jalen Waddle double other... moves. Oh, I love double moves with Jalen Waddle. They're so good. Inc- They're so good. Incredible. So it's like anybody that says he's not a good play caller, it blows my mind because, like, he he's the one that's drawing up all of this and scheming these guys open. I know Waddle is faster than everyone in the country and all that kind of stuff, but you tell me any other coordinator in the country that would have had that kind of confidence in his players and himself when especially with Saban breathing down your neck to not just run the football and, and kind of like, like you know, melt the clock, especially late in the fourth quarter with that with that game going on. And he decides to go to the air and, and run the
0: offense. I loved it. Steve Sarkisian against Dan Lanning slash Kirby Smart. Sign me up. It's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for Georgia-Bama. The matchup, what these two teams do well, is going to be great. We're going to have a lot of coverage on it this week. Do not worry. We have so much coverage planned for that on the SDS side, so get excited for that. Arkansas, Auburn. Arkansas fans. I, I feel for you. You got you got robbed. You totally got robbed. For those who missed it and are wondering what we're talking about, maybe you're just focused on your own team on Saturday. Auburn was in position for a game-winning field goal. Bo Nix wanted to spike the ball to stop the clock. The problem was he fumbled the snap and then spiked the ball backwards. By rule, it should have been a fumble that Arkansas recovered. Instead, though, they called it grounding, and they ruled that they whistled it dead when they saw him spike it, which the problem is that the ball went backwards, so it should have been a fumble. And the SEC officiating came out and admitted afterwards, yeah, it was a mistake. The problem is that if that call goes the way that it's supposed to at the end of the game, Arkansas just kneels. And, and wins that game. And that's yeah, that's a, a game deciding call and when you go a thousand days without an SEC win, you know that you can't take these moments for granted. So I feel no. terrible because Auburn and Auburn fans know it. They got lucky. And uh, Auburn uh, got hoes. There's they no doubt it. about it. They
1: don't know it. No. They they don't know
0: uh, it. I know some people that were that were that were they're very they're aware great
1: fans, it. but they they Whistles at the graveyard, man. They 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 just rarely admit when like when it's glaringly obvious to everyone else. They they do a really good job of just at, like of of somehow convincing themselves it didn't happen. I, I was shocked that that, that was like I, I don't understand I don't understand how there were that many people that are like their specific job is to know all the rules of football and to watch the game in front of you in real time and and make these calls and everyone like like Sam Pippen screaming his head off because he sees it. Everyone sees it, and there's players running after it. And what pissed me off the most was because there's a couple people that tried to defend it. And it was like it was the right call because the way it's set up, if, if the players stop going after the ball, it's no longer a live ball, and the play ends because it has to be.
0: Um,
1: what, what was I forgot the exact phrase. It has to be like a this clear end.
0: recovery, right? And, and so yeah.
1: Right. Um, so it has to, yeah it has to be a fumble, and they have to be a clear recovery. What pissed me off about that is is you are taught like if you play football from day one you, you play to the whistle blows you, like that is it's it's like the age old you know cliche that everyone's heard a thousand times you play to the whistle blows play to the whistle blows arkansas did that and the sc officials blew the whistle and it cost them the game it did and like if like you said if i'm an arkansas fan i'm so over this if i'm a kentucky fan from a couple weeks ago i'm so over this kind of crap where you're you're getting like this like backhanded you know after the fact you know, justifications of, hey, by the way, uh, you guys should have won. That's our bad. You should have won. Like, that doesn't – that, that <laughs> doesn't <should've>. – <laughs> these are people's jobs. These are people like, – like, I just I, – I hate the fact that Arkansas, for the second straight week, they went on the road into a hostile
0: environment. And, and think about how – they've been embarrassed by that team for years. Yep. And they, they just gave it away. We were so close to c- talking about a 2-1 Arkansas team, which is just a bananas thought. This is how telling that, and how egregious that that play really was. So my in-laws, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, they do not watch football. They live on a farm in Indianapolis. They got horses. They've got farmland. They have no sort of care, allegiance whatsoever to SEC football, especially. Right. They, they call me immediately after that game, and they're like, Arkansas got hosed. That's the first yeah. thing that they say to me. And you know what? If people that don't have any sort of rooting interest and can see that with the naked eye, and my father-in-law, like, dissected it perfectly, and he, I was like, wait a minute. You're telling me, how, how do you not know football? Like, you don't watch football, but you know all these things. But it, seriously, that's how obvious it felt, and it's yeah. not—it's not good enough for Arkansas fans. The SEC officiating tweeted out the statement afterwards, and they basically admitted that there was—that there was fault in the way that it was handled. Why can't—why can't you go back and reverse the call? Why can't you go I, back and just say,
1: "Hey, yeah, Arkansas won that game." It—it it blows my mind. It, it's things as as an irrational fan that I I refuse to let go. I mean, there are calls that have been made. That, there was a ball that bounced before a Arkansas receiver caught it for a game winning touchdown in 1995. I'm still not over it. It just, I mean, you'll, if you go to Sanford stadium, you'll see a, a replay of, of the Georgia Bama game from 1965. And they did a, they did a, of what do you call it? Um, what's it called? Damn it. Where you hook and ladder to, to, to score a game winning touchdown. And the guy is laying on the ground, knees on the ground. I was, I was negative 20 years old. Still pisses me off. Like you're paid to, to get the calls correctly. You have, you have the, like, the least of excuses. Like, like you, you went into this season knowing the new rules, that like you didn't have to train or anything like that, and you still are this bad, and it's been bad every single week, and I feel like every single week, we're having to hear from, from people like, you know, clarifying something, whether it's the Kentucky-Auburn touchdown, whether it's this, and you're right. Like, like why, why would you not be able to go back and be like, you know what, yeah, we did mess up. This
0: is how that game should have ended. They should have never been able to kick a field goal. The good news for both teams, couple of positives no. that will that will not here the good news for Arkansas is Felipe Franks balled out the Felipe Franks yeah ro- okay Felipe Frank's roller coaster was at its apex and he looked really good despite the fact that they didn't have Rakeem Boyd in that game uh, can you think about that Arkansas almost should have won a game at Auburn on the road without Rakeem Boyd if you had told me that coming into 2020 I would have laughed you out of the room but that's that's how much this uh, this Arkansas team has progressed now Mm -hmm. the good news for Auburn is that despite the fact that Chad Morris had to try and muster a a game-winning drive at the end to beat his whole team and Bo Nix said afterwards yeah it was personal for Chad Morris Give me it a break it, with some of that stuff. Give me a break with some of that stuff. Beat Western Kentucky. You, you don't get slaughtered by that team. Yeah. Don't don't give me that. Like, oh, it's personal. He was wrong by Arkansas. Dude's still getting paid by Arkansas pretty well. I don't want to hear about how he was wronged there. Like, dude set him up for failure, and it was very evident from the jump. The good Beau, news for Auburn,
1: freshman quarterback, and beat him by like forty nine points last. Seriously. year. Seriously. So let's, yeah.
0: let's just pump the brakes on all that. Here's the thing, though, for Auburn. That if you're if you're an Auburn fan and you know, even if you're admitting that game. It should not have ended the way that it did. And even if you're thinking, oh, we should be 1-2 and two right now if you're an Auburn fan, the ground game was much better. Tank Bixby is ace. Yeah. That guy just refuses to go down. True freshman who's very much going to be a thing. DJ Williams is finally healthy for that group. That ground game that was terrible against Georgia was significantly better against an Arkansas team that actually knows how to tackle. So good for Auburn for being able to do that. But still, what, um, what a bad way for, for a game to end in the SEC.
1: Yeah, and also, um, shout out to Anthony Swartz getting a uh, ten catches, ten catches, ten catches. That, the play he had on third and two, where he like he caught like a, I guess it was a screen, and he just weaved in and out of everyone, like and then it just out never got touched. Was like in like a, a, a what do you call it, like a telephone booth almost? It was awesome. It, that was I was excited for that. I, I just my biggest takeaway from this obviously will be the ending of the game, and, and I, I'm so frustrated with, like that just the image of Bo Nix. Knowing that he did what he did was like should have been called. Knew it. And and the way he was trying to oversell it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is so painful to watch. But um, I mean, still, also, shout out to I mean, good good job by Auburn missing a field goal, which I've I've literally I don't think I've ever seen them do in in any game. And they come man. back, drive back down the field, and and score again. Um, I thought I thought there was a lot of I don't know what you were talking about. There's positives from both sides for the uh, the Bama thing because there weren't. But, they, like, there were definitely <laughs> positives from both of these teams. that I, I thought it was really good. Felipe Franks, by the way, 22 of 30 for 318 yards and four touchdowns. Also, this roller coaster, this is in the rain. Like a torrential downpour. Yeah. And last week, which I'm pretty sure was also a bad weather game. I could be wrong about that. But the last two weeks combined, he has – completion percentage is 72%. He has 530 total passing yards and six touchdowns, zero interceptions. Both on the road. Both his
0: huge underdogs against
1: ranked teams. He, Felipe
0: Franks is back. Uh, he, he's Felipe Franks, so uh, be beware. It's going to come crashing down soon, Arkansas yes. fans. Mississippi State and Kentucky. Maybe, maybe the Air Raid isn't going to take over the SEC. For the first time. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> Sunk cost at this point. For the first time in 19 years as a head coach, Mike Leach's offense didn't score a point. Point. Mississippi State threw six interceptions. Six! KJ Costello got benched for Will Rogers, who then came in and threw two interceptions. KJ Costello went from throwing for an SEC record 623 yards to, in the following two weeks, losing to Arkansas and Kentucky and throwing seven interceptions and possibly losing his starting Job Credit Kentucky for showing up. That defense was phenomenal. Boogie Watson balled out. Josh Paschal. Yeah. Those guys played incredibly well. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, ugh, there's, yikes.
1: There's no better example uh, in, in any game. This, this is all crazy games that we saw, right? There, there's, there was unbelievably interesting, I don't even want to say bad, but interesting beats yesterday in, in like, gambling. But I, I always say, like, you know, that that whatever that quote is about how they don't build those million dollar buildings in the middle of the desert out of nothing. Like Vegas always knows. My oh, yeah, actually we said wrong. in my article, I was like, Vegas is wrong about this. Like, we said
0: that on the podcast and, last week. And, we're like, we're smarter than Vegas. We're gonna be fine. We'll just bet Mississippi right. State.
1: And I and I gave I gave all these reasons why. And I tell you what, I like I was obviously watching the Bama game, so I didn't get to see most of this. I saw the score. And I was confused, and I just kept waiting for it to you know, kind of turn around because this is an offense that we saw put up – how many points they put up in week one against LSU? 44,
0: 45. 44,
1: yeah. And now you're talking about, like, they put up 14 last week against Arkansas. They put up two this week.
0: Zero. So I kept thinking it was going turn around. you don't get points for safety, but yeah. Also a good point. Yeah. Um,
1: but, but like, Kentucky's Kentucky's defense was awful. And so I just saw the score, and I was like, well, wow, I guess – and one person tweeted me, by the way, that um, they – Uncle or uh, what do you call it, neighbor Terry was going off. And I was like, Oh, I guess I guess Terry Wilson had a hell of a game and that's why this happened. He had a fifty one yard run. That was it. He was he was eight of twenty. I yeah. had no idea what that guy was even talking about. And so it was probably
0: after the, the long run that he said that, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess, assuming so. But but basically, you look at these numbers, I, I can't figure out how this could have happened, to be honest. Um, it is it's mind blowing. Oh, I can. So they came into this game with the worst worst secondary in the SEC. I, I told you all the numbers. I'm not gonna go over them again. Like worst opponent QB passer rating, worst completion percentage, like most most pass or most passing touchdowns allowed, and zero interceptions. And they got six. They gained 157 yards of offense and beat beat Mississippi State. They again 157 yards of offense and beat Mississippi State and Mike Leach... By
0: 22 ...by three scores.
1: (laughs) How is that possible?
0: Damn, Vegas? Kylan Hill had 15 catches in this game. What? 15 catches for the MSU tailback. But that says it all, because the problem is that teams, obviously, since week one, since watching Bo Pelini, decide to be stubborn and play man the entire game, have dropped... Dropped significant amounts just have just been dropped into coverage for the duration of the game. And that's what Arkansas did. Like Arkansas had every single offensive or defensive snap that they dropped eight into coverage. And that is obviously what Mike Leach spent his entire week saying, hey, look, if that was the remedy to shut down the air raid, then we would have been out of business years ago. And, And I sort of agreed with him. And I think there's something to it, but at the same time. How can you look at these these first three weeks of this season and do anything other than what Kentucky and what Arkansas did? Because dropping several into coverage against KJ Costello seems like a pretty good formula to make him fail. And it seems like a pretty good formula to not allow these Mississippi State receivers to just get all sorts of separation because... They haven't really been able to do that at all. I understand that, that part of this is on KJ Costello just not being patient. He's forcing throws, and, and it looks, looks
1: awful. He looked like he aged like 20 years. He looked like he was a 40-year-old man, but his arm looked weak, and I'm, oh. I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but it, it looks so bad. Um, every time I turned it over, like I like I I've switched it over several times, but it was like the pick six I caught that. Um, I mean, I, like I switched it over maybe seven or eight times during the Bama game. It's just I check caught three That's the, interceptions. all you can
0: do. That's yeah. Whenever he doesn't throw a check down, it seems like if you're a Mississippi State fan, you're probably just bracing for it to be intercepted because the windows, these guys don't know how to settle into the soft spots of the zone. Costello is forcing balls in there. It's just not working right now. Uh, and that's a crazy thing to say after what we saw two weeks ago.
1: So yeah, I mean they, they have 14 turnovers to three games. And 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 that's that number alone. Sounds crazy because it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they just had six in that game. Like, it's, it's a crazy amount for a total. Dude, they haven't had less than four turnovers. Less than four in any game this season. They've had four more in every single game. And I was thinking about this last night because you think about, like, two weeks ago and what, what we thought of Mississippi State. And they, they had, like, you know, the whole video that Leach did with the um, jump on the bandwagon and, again, we made the shirts and everyone was all fired up. Mississippi State, Mississippi State is like a girl you meet like dating like on like like on Tinder, right? Or or like Bumble, but like specifically Tinder. It's like someone, someone's like different and like fun and like you know not from around here. Maybe just moved to the city and you guys you guys matched and like you've been flirting and talking like back and forth and stuff like that. And and things are going well. It's, just, like intriguing and fun. And then you go out and meet them like in, like the first night, or, like the first date or whatever. Just like the first game. And it's awesome, like just most fun you've ever had. Incredible time. She's she's super hot. Sounds like she's like like you know like likes your friends. All those things above. Probably probably score the first night. Just gonna say it because of, of what happened in that first game against LSU. And you just go home after like week one of dating this person. You're like, oh my god, I think I found love of my life. This person's incredible. Never met anyone like him. And then, like, you start, like, hanging out with them more and more, and you realize that, like, they don't, like, shave their legs, or, like, their credit is, like, two digits somehow, or they have, like, three kids by two dads and no job, and you're just like, oh, you are not the angel that I thought you were. Like, you are, like, you're, like, really into astronomy. That, that's, that's who Mississippi State is. They are the white girl with dreadlocks that is, is really into astronomy that has just somehow just been a, a huge, huge disguise.
0: Up until the White Girl with Dreadlocks thing, you definitely just described How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That was basically the entire script oh, yeah, sure. of, of that yep. movie. And yep. there's, there's something to be said for that because Mississippi State replicating what they did in week one is going to be awfully difficult to do with what's on film. Now, I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. That felt like 2018 MSU at LSU. You remember that game where they just could not score a point? Nick Fitzgerald threw like a million interceptions, and LSU only had like 150 yards of offense themselves. Oh,
1: yeah, they had 151 total. That was and, the targeting game,
0: yeah. And they still never even had a chance. And you're just like, this right. is not working right now. Um, Leach said afterwards that the roster may need to purge of malcontents. So purge, that's a strong, strong word. Basically, if you're not on the bandwagon, um, you need to get on the bandwagon or find another bandwagon to get on. I don't know about that. I don't know I, about
1: that. I'm just shocked that you think, think think about just like the... I don't even know how to let it sink in. Of He's been a head coach for 19 years, and Mike Leach is, is like the absolute guru of offense. And it's the first time in his entire career they were held scoreless against like,
0: kentucky yeah like yes by the way shout out to our guy tom hart who oh, was dealing with a really difficult situation with his power going out and he's calling this game remotely so he's calling that game from yeah. back in near neck of the woods in atlanta and his power's is going out in the middle of the game and if you've if you're unaware of kind of how this experience works when the play-by-play announcer has his power go out, uh, yeah. uh, it's kind of just up to everybody else in that broadcast, in that on that broadcast team to figure it out. So it was Jordan Rodgers and Cole Kublik essentially taking turns calling play-by-play. Cole eventually took it over, but it was like one of these moments where you realize their chemistry together was what got them through a very awkward and difficult yeah. peak twenty twenty moment.
1: It was it was awesome. It, 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 it was it was like I hate it for Tom because he lives like five, 10 minutes away and we had power. But yeah, like just to show you another example of how awful 2020 is and how awful yesterday was. Like, I was like, when Allie finally got out of surgery um, and I was like catching up with with her and also like her family and everything, they were like, how's it going over there? And I was like, well, we're under a tornado warning. I thought those sirens were just like, you know, like a a fire engine or whatever. No, it's tornadoes, tornadoes, Connor. Standard,
0: very heads are falling off. (laughs) Real quick, South Carolina and Vandy. I know we got a lot of takes on this one. One takeaway. I want all the Kevin Harris stock. I do. I really yeah. do. 200 scrimmage yards for the South Carolina tailback, including an 88-yard touchdown run in which he was untouched. That's the longest FBS touchdown run of the year so far. And it came from a South Carolina running back? What? Yeah. Crazy. Shai Smith only had five touches in this game, by the way, and even Luke Doty and Derek, and Joyner got touches. De'Kerry and Joyner had a touchdown run. What I, he was I used? Just,
1: did what did Doty do? Uh,
0: one run for two yards.
1: You know, th- this was such a perfect example of, of like it's like like a metaphor. Mike I don't know the right word, but like for for the state of that program versus like the rest of the SEC. And, and it, listen, great win, incredible job of the offense. Um, th- this offense is, is totally different when there's an effective run game. It, it looks it looks totally different when they have like an actual run game, and, and I love Kevin Wilson. They looked great yesterday, but Kevin Harris. Were watching Kevin me, Wilson, Kevin Harris, my bad. Coordinator Ohio State. Yeah. Yes, I think he was also the running back for Virginia Tech in like 2009. Um, but so but basically, if you were watching like the noon games yesterday, right? So on one channel, obviously you have Oklahoma, Texas, but in the SEC you had this incredible back and forth with with uh, what do you call it? A and M in Florida. From, like from two big, big programs that are like, you know, trying to like, fight for like either conference or postseason stuff, whatever. Then you have LSU-Mizzou, another back and forth, exciting game, like so much offense, like just incredibly and exciting. It's... And then you turn it over to Vandy, South Carolina. The screen is literally gray and drab yeah. <laughs> because it's raining nonstop. It's and like the score was, was... On. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The score was three to nothing, like with a minute to go in the half. And I had South Carolina minus seven and a half in the first, in the first half. And I was like, I swear to god. And, and Vandy almost had a goal line stand. And it was it was the most depressing turning of a channel like ever. It was like it was like turning a channel and just catching the end of Old Yeller.
0: Oh God. You went there. I'm talking yeah. dead dogs this morning. <laughs> um poor Vandy. Only fifty-six scholarship players for this game. It showed. Tough. It showed. Uh, I, I'm not changing how I feel about South Carolina. This was more of a you'd better not keep it close type of yeah. game. I, I like Kevin Harris a lot. I mean, I, I've made that perfectly cle- perfectly clear. I think he's going to keep them in some more games than they probably would have been in, you know, with this roster last year. But, yeah, I, I'm not really changing my tune on South Carolina. I still think it's going to be a, a lot more tough times ahead. We had a couple of tough times on Saturday. It's time for Sunday Apologies, Marler. Oh, man. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Because I, I don't have that many. I don't have that many. I have two. I have two. I got to apologize to our boy Mark Stoops because hashtag put your money in this bank. I said that they lacked heart. I said they, that defense especially was really trying to figure out its identity. I questioned if they would splinter a team that could not afford to get off to an 0-3 start. And I predicted this week with my picks that they would fall to 0-3. And all they did was they came out and they, they shut down the air raid. They looked like a team that was really well prepared. Mark Stoops is too good at this to have three consecutive defensive duds. And one of the the better defensive minds in this sport came out with a great game plan and his team executed it. His team bought in. Huge win for Mark Stoops. that's my first, my first apology. They should be at least two and one. Jimbo Fisher, though. Jimbo Fisher... I blasted him last week, and while I still think a and is on the same track, the same sort of 6-4 and four track that I was predicting earlier on, I said that I'd have serious concerns about them long-term. And those are still relatively legit. I still think that they don't develop talent the way that you need to when you have a budget like that, when you recruit like that. Right. But Saturday was exactly what I thought he needed if he was going to begin to change that discussion about can a actually compete when you haven't beat a top five team in six years when you only have one top 15 finish in the 21st century we're allowed to ask these questions about you and now a and is sitting there at two and one with its best win in the Jimbo Fisher era nobody questioned the legitimacy of it like we did the seven overtime win against LSU and all of a sudden we're thinking hey Maybe A&M with Calamon, at quarterback, is looking a little bit different. So for all the things that I criticized Jimbo Fisher about last week and what I've said about his team not being able to compete against elite competition, it finally showed that it could do that, albeit at home. But still, it showed that it could do that. So apologies to Mark Stoops and Jimbo Fisher. All right, my list is a little bit longer.
1: Um, I made some bold predictions last week. Oh, boy. Uh so first, and I never thought I was going to do this. Actually, I'll will save them for for maybe last. Um, I want to apologize to Kellen Mon because I I said last week that you were you were the same same old same old. It's nothing had changed. Like it just, and I'm pretty sure I doubled down on that and really believed it. Like I just didn't think that you had progressed. I, I I judged you basically off of Vandy and what happened against Bama, and that was unfair because I tell you what, I think. It's early in the season for one, right? And, and then on top of that, it's also, there, there's, people have bad games. And, and I know Mon's had maybe a lot of those throughout the years against ranked teams. What he did on Saturday was awesome, and, and I never thought that he would be the guy that gets this program-defining, program-changing uh, win, but I'm, I, you know, I apologize for sure, and I'm so happy that he proved me wrong so he can get that you know, on his way out of senior year at, uh, at A&M. Up next, uh, I need to apologize to Kentucky Secondary went on and on and on I mean I, just very very arrogantly uh, you know telling Vegas that they were wrong which you don't do I mean, you just don't do that um, I, I just assumed that you guys were going to get torched like you had been like you were against Ole Miss um, and you weren't you weren't at all and, and I also said that you would run the ball all over them um, and I was right about that so I just want to slip that in there but I apologize a second <laughs> you guys had six interceptions six that's incredible
0: um, like half of them were linebackers and, and defensive linemen, but still, nonetheless, the secondary was really good.
1: That's three less than the amount of fingers on Cade Mays' dad's hand. And, yes. hand. And, and that is a perfect segue for my next uh, apology, which I never thought I was going to have to do. Um, I need to apologize to Vault Twitter. and Actually, no, I'm not going to apologize to Vault Twitter. I'm going to apologize to Tennessee fans. Um, and, and the reason why is because I made a a ridiculous uh, prediction that you guys would lose 27 to nothing. And, um, you know, my, my intentions were good, but I was wrong. And and I tell you what, even though it was only for a half, even if it was only for a half, Tennessee showed that they could compete. They could put up points. They could, they could do things on the level of Georgia. I know how the game ended, but I was wrong. I didn't think you would show any of that. And, And you guys looked really good early on. proved me wrong. Um, cannot apologize enough. Uh, for, for saying that you guys wouldn't score at all. And, and, and from the bottom of my heart, congratulations on that, that loss. Because um, I know you got to feel better now since you guys scored points, um, as Ronald Fred mentions. Last two. Anybody I argued with is, that I said the Bama defense was not uh, a liability, that was bad. That was I was wrong about that. Uh, Jay Woody, Robbie Buffington, a lot of other people, I did not think the defense was a problem. I didn't think Pete Golding was a problem. Pete Golding is a problem. He's a real big problem. Um, he needs to apologize to all of us. And last but not least, another one I never thought I would have to apologize to, Lane Kiffin. Ooh. Um, I, so, you know, I, I just kind of thought that the only way Ole Miss would put up these points against Bama would be on a backdoor cover late in the game, and he'd be doing it in some vengeful way when they're already down by a whole bunch, and he's just trying to cover the spread and, and, and look good late and, and whatever. And I forgot that Lane Kiffin is one of the best play callers and offensive minds in, in college football in the last 10 to 20 years. And, and I fully mean that. I, I don't know how I forgot that because in three short years in Alabama, he had the SEC Offensive Player of the Year all three years, all three at a different position, uh, two Heisman finalists, and one Heisman Trophy winner. I don't know why I thought that Pete Golding's dumbass was going to be able to go up against him, and somehow stop the lane train. I, I was wrong. Um, I, I, it has nothing to do with how the game went, but I'm sorry for calling you fat. Um, yeah, I was projecting. Mean. We don't yeah, fat shame here. Bad. We don't do that. No. Don't do that. I'm fat too, so it's fine. Um, even though I've lost 13 pounds, so whatever, we can talk about it. So
0: uh, but yeah, sorry to Lane Kiffin. That was Sunday Apologies. Okay, good. I think we got it all out there. I think we apologized to half the conference. That's good. That's good. Let's guess some week four SEC lines, And I realize that technically they call it week seven or whatever, but let's be honest, the season started when the SEC started. So, yeah, of course, I'm going to call right. it week four. Auburn, South Carolina. Auburn's going to be favored on the road, despite the fact that they should be one and two right now. But I'm going to say Auburn is an eight and a half point favorite in Columbia. Ooh, I'm going to go five and a half. That low, that low. Yeah. Okay. I don't feel good about it. I'm just that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Kentucky on the road, Tennessee. How is Tennessee going to respond after that humbling experience, despite the fact that Mark Stoops has had his fair share of struggles against the Vols. I think Tennessee against Jeremy Pruitt. To, yeah, against Jeremy Pruitt as well. I think Tennessee is gonna be a touchdown favorite. I think they're gonna be a seven point favorite at home. It's at home? It's at it's in Knoxville. I, I would say uh nine nine okay yeah. possibly getting up to if it gets up to double digits i feel like people would start to bet bet kentucky a little bit yeah. too much on that oh gosh how do we figure this one out lsu in florida a game in the, the swamp. gonna be in that one i, I said first to hundred wins i mean yeah these defenses are are hurting badly bet the over on that game and have yourself some fun Florida's going to be favored in the swamp, especially if if Dan Mullen talks him into being able to have 90,000 people at the swamp. Um, I think Florida, against that defense, is going to get some love. I really do. I think Vegas is kind of on to this LSU can't stop anybody, that's not Vandy thing. So I actually think Florida's going to be a a 9.5 point favorite at home. 2.5. Wow, that low. That low. I already saw it. I already saw it. It already came out. It's. I think. I think it's got to go up though. I think it's got. Oh, go
1: yeah. Like if if it if I see it anywhere at two and a half, like that's the bet of the year. <laughs> like I mean that like it 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 should be exactly where you said it was. I I would say minimum nine and a half.
0: Yeah, that's that's gonna be an interesting line to watch move. Ole Miss and Arkansas. Man, I so I'm struggling with at? a lot of these. If I say, if I I always say the the road team first. Oh, at Arkansas, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, at Arkansas. So Arkansas not gonna be a home favorite, I don't think. Even though they should be two and one, even though they should be two and one, this is gonna. I think this is gonna be a small spread though. I think this is something like Ole Miss. I'll stick with what you just said. Ole Miss two and a half point favorite. Okay, I like that. You gonna stick with that? We gonna echo?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean I, honestly, because I mean because of the way Ole Miss played yesterday, I think Vegas will probably give them a little bit more benefit of doubt. But I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if, if Arkansas was favored because of how good that defense looked. Arkansas yeah. should have won yesterday,
0: so I, I'll say two and a half. But um, would not be surprised if it's like a pick 'em. Texas A and M, Mississippi State. Ugh. I I don't know how you bet Mississippi State at this point. A and M will be a road favorite that we know. Mississippi State. Is only had one home game this year, and it was a loss Arkansas. So I don't think you can put a lot of faith in the Bulldogs being able to slow down Kellamond after how good he looked. I'm going to say A&M. Man, I, I keep coming back to, like, this 9-10 number. I'll say A&M's a and a 105 point favorite in Starkville. Oh, that's too much. On the road, I, I I tell you what, this is my least
1: favorite color scheme game in the entire SEC. A whole lot of them Just, like, the worst worst shade of red brown it's so gross Um, Maroon, we call it yeah i yeah i know but it's just it's not good i can't stand it um so i i'll they're not gonna be favored by that much i'll say i'll say am's favored by um six and a half and i could easily see it actually being down at four and a half because it's still on the road yeah you're right m has been not good on the road.
0: I, re- I regret that instantly because AM is now 2 and 7 yeah. in true road games under Jimbo Fisher. All right, that 10.5 is going to be way, way off. That was a terrible guess. Vandy Mizzou. Uh, Mizzou coming off oh, that God. big emotional win against LSU. I'm going to say Mizzou is going to be a double digit favorite at home, especially if they can get Kiki Chisholm, and Damon Hazleton back. 12.5 point favorite against Vandy? I will say.
1: It is at home. I'll say 10 and a half.
0: Okay. Let's end with the game of the week, maybe the game of the year in college football. I'd be hard-pressed to find I'd be hard-pressed to find a, a better regular season game than this one. Georgia, Alabama. Great, great matchup with that Georgia defense against this Alabama offense that is just clicking on all cylinders as well. Bama's going to be favored at home. Because of the, uh, because of a few of the obvious things, it's the success against the the division. It's it's the fact that they haven't lost a game against Why are you discounting
1: the reasons why Bama's going to be favored at home? No, no,
0: no, no, no. I'm not discounting. I'm not discounting. I, I'm saying because I think it's I think a lot of people look at this and just say it's a coin flip at this point. Yep. I think Bama's going to be favored for this reasons. Haven't lost a game to the SEC East in ten years. The whole Sabin being 21 0 against his former assistants is still on By there the way, only two
1: well. of those, well, before last night, only two of those were within single digits. And, and they were both Kirby Smart.
0: Or maybe was one score, but either way. I'm going to go. <sighs> Bama is a five point favorite at home. I don't feel good about that. Seven and a half. Oh, that much
1: with the hook. Uh, Georgia's offense is not good, and Bama's put up points on everyone. So I think that, I, like, like when you look at those two teams and see how much how many points Bama put up, like, like there's nothing Georgia does on offense that really worries you. They're gonna gash Bama with the run game though. Uh, like, That's... like I, I'm take I would take Georgia to cover all day. I'm just telling you how I think it's gonna set up. I I think I think it'll be seven and a half, which is dumb. I mean, dude, last year they were favored over LSU, and you you see that coming.
0: This is true. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think at that point we're still, you you play up the history stuff when it comes to these lines, and you know that people are going to just go back to what they know and what they've seen in years past. Cannot wait for this game. Going to be awesome in Tuscaloosa. Very, very excited for that. Make sure that if you are not following us on all forms of social media, you should definitely be doing so, especially after a week like this one. Oh, my gosh. You need to be informed and you need to be aware of everything that is going on in college football. So follow us on Twitter at SDS at SEC football at Vern Funquist at the SDS pod at CJ Ogara make sure that you are subscribed to our Saturday football newsletter go to saturday.football and all you're going you're going to get all your news for college football season as we always say Adam Spencer does a great great job putting that together Follow all of our content on SaturdayDownSouth.com as well. All forms of social media. Join the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group and get your fourth and wrong questions into us. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. We have a lot to plug. It's a big week. It's a big week. I'm, I hate this week already. I'm so nervous. I know. We will see everybody later this week with all sorts of Bama and Georgia takes. Marlar, what do we need to remember? <laughs> Does. Foxy